Right. Good morning, everyone. All right, this morning we're going to talk about Jesus. We're in the, the book of Acts. <laughs> we're talking about Jesus, as always. Jesus and only Jesus. So we need, right? We need him. All right, well, turn your Bibles to Acts 3, 11 through 18. How many know in Romans 10, it says that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. All right, you ready? All right, I'm going to start reading. Acts 3, verse 11 says, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together at a so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to his people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if, if by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers have glorified his servant, Jesus, the one who, whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. We'll go up to 18. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as you, or you and your ruler, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And so last week we talked about kind of like the, I guess you could say the theology of healing, that God still heals today in that sense that we are, when someone gets sick in this congregation, we want, we don't want to do what First uh, John says, where, where the, the, the apostle John, he says, you don't want to just look at someone and in their need say, hey, have a good day, but you want to meet that need. And, and sickness is a need in the congregation. And we do believe that God does heal today, although in the New Testament, there was, uh, there was a, an enormous amount of healings because it testifies, as in Hebrews 2, as we talked about last week, it testified to two things. that what Je- It tested to Jesus that he was indeed the Son of God and to the Word of God that we can trust it, right? And so, uh, we can go, and in fact, we, we talked about being a brother and, and making chicken soup for those who are sick or coming alongside. A lot of times, uh, just a nice little, hey, I'm praying for you, whatever, that doesn't really meet the need, right? To actually go to their house and love them and care for them and meet their practical needs is key. And so we talked about that last week. And then also it says in James 5, the, the, the passage we have now in the New Testament is James 5, which says that we are a people that can go to uh, gather the elders or the leaders together and go to uh, each other's homes to pray for the sick. But there's this little caveat too. Pray, uh, also confess your sin to, to one another, and then also you'll be healed. So sometimes we saw that sickness is tied to some sort of sin in our life. We cannot assume that. You should not judge people for that if they're, uh, uh, if they're sick. I wouldn't go around saying, hey, what kind of sin did you, did you do? That wouldn't be right to do that. But sometimes there is that, and we want to make sure that we are people who live according to the word. And so we pick up literally this guy, he's like, he, he 
Peter and, uh, and, and John go to the temple. They pick this man up. Uh, he gets healed and the guy does, is dancing, uh, probably maybe doing cartwheels. I don't know. And, and then coming to this place where the, the Solomon's portico, which is a huge area and all these people are around saying, what in the world is going on? And in first Peter three fifteen, which this is Peter speaking, he wrote a letter later on, uh, before he died. He said that make the most of every opportunity, right? He made the most of every opportunity. Give the reason why you believe. Give, uh, the, give the very reason why you believe. So Peter was just a man of his word. He wrote it in the Bible. He wrote the scriptures. But in that moment, he took an opportunity. He says, hey, yeah, this is awesome that this man was healed, but it points to someone. His name is Jesus. And so Peter, making the most of every opportunity, he answers the first question, or he, he poses the first question, why do you marvel at this? The Old Testament had a lot of miracles, right? If you read Exodus, tons of miracles. You read uh, Elijah's stories, lots of miracles. And then uh, they witnessed Jesus walking around the earth. And those people got to see all the miraculous. So he's like, why are you marveling? God is a miracle working God. And then the second question is, why are you gazing at us as if by our own piety, by our own holiness, you know, the most holy are not the ones that bring the healing. It doesn't matter because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It is by the grace of God that anyone should be healed. It's by the grace of God that anyone would be saved. And so he poses that rhetorical question. He's, why do you gaze at us as if we did something about that? Of course, it's not our power, but it's Jesus. And then he appeals to the old phrase of, as you've seen, uh, as he called himself, God said he's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, uh, Jesus spoke of God this way as he spoke to the Sadducees about the resurrection. He spoke, uh, uh, Stephen even said the God of Abraham, Jacob, or Isaac and Jacob uh, to the Sanhedrin before he got stoned to death. And this is the name of our God. And they, he was basically saying, hey, you know that this stuff, this was told long ago that people would be healed, people would be saved, the miraculous would come. And so I wanna take you guys through the, the, basically the point of the message, we're gonna go through about five or six names of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but what you've gone through in the last so many months, six months, it's been a very trying journey, hasn't it? Uh, no doubt about that. Um, so much in the world news, so much happening all around the world. And but I know that a lot of times it's, it's counterintuitive, but you think that, oh, looking at Jesus and the names of Jesus would be comforting. We'd almost want to hear something that's going to make us feel better about ourselves. Maybe a pop psychology message or something that would, you know, be even more relevant. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more relevant than the names of Jesus. And you'll find comfort in one of these names, if not all of them. And in this moment, uh, I, I, would, I would invite you guys, I'm going to read, um, I don't know how many names, there's a lot of names here, there's 25 names or something like that, but I'm only going to focus on a few. But you guys will have, you guys can look at the message later, but I encourage you guys to take your times with Jesus in the morning and meditate on these names, the names of Jesus. But even out of all these names, there's one name that's used a thousand times in the New Testament, and that's Jesus the actual name of Jesus, which means uh, the Lord saves. All right, so number one, Alpha and the Omega. He's the bright and morning star. He's Emmanuel. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Prince of Peace. He's Savior. He's the Son of God. He's beloved. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's Lamb. He's Lord. He's a man of sorrows, which we'll look at later. He's a righteous judge. He's a servant. He's the Son of Man. He's the bread of life, the Holy One, the light of the world, the Lord of Lords, mighty God, root of David, shepherd, and of course, the word of God that was made flesh. That's who Jesus is. And we are to, uh, there's the, the apostles, basically what they said was there's so much power in this name that we're gonna, that this, that we baptize in the name of Jesus. We dedicate these babies in the name of Jesus saying that, that this is where the power comes from. We, we pray for someone's healing in the name of Jesus. We preach in the name of Jesus. And what that's saying is we don't put power in our words or put power in our works, but we know where the power lies. That's in Jesus. And as we lift him up and he, draw, he will draw all men to himself. And that's our job as the church is to lift up Jesus and let him do. We, church, I've said this for a while, we need a God-centered church, not a man-centered. We don't need a man-centered theology. We need a God-centered. What happens in churches is over time, we, 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 before, we don't want this to happen, but it becomes man-centered. We need a church that lifts up the name of Jesus every week. We need a church that look, helps you to look at him and gaze upon him. As Stephen, this is the only way Stephen could, I mean, it is natural, by the way, to run when someone's throwing rocks at you, whether they're the proverbial rocks or real rocks. How in the world do you stay in your spot unless you're looking at someone who's the righteous judge? You see, unless we look at Jesus, we don't have we don't have answers, we don't have healing, we don't have salvation, we don't have breakthrough, we don't have provision, we have nothing. Unto, left to ourselves, we perish. And so these apostles all throughout the book of Acts, they understood where the power came from and they were not ashamed of the name of Jesus. Can I ask you, are you ashamed of the name of Jesus? Romans 1 says that, no, you should never be ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Why? Because it's the only thing I have. Peter said to, to answer, you know, answer to Jesus's question, are you gonna leave? He's like, no, you're the only one with eternal life. You're the only one that has the answers. I don't care who leaves. I'm with you, Jesus. Because what I care about the most is that I wanna be with the righteous judge. I want to be with the Holy One. I want to be with Him. And during that time, which is so hard for us to know that, you know, we read the Bible, we have to, got, we have to go back into context. Jesus was not the popular one. And I frankly say it this way, He's not today. He's not the popular one. We, can, we notice that with all the political loudness that we're picking sides. I saw a side, Nicole sent it to our staff. She saw one when we were in Detroit this weekend for the scouting trip, and it just said a sign, God 2020. You know, he's been with us even before the world began. Jesus isn't the created one. He's been with us. He's the ancient of days. 
And let me tell you something about the Ancient of Days in Psalm 24. It means he knows all things. It means that he's been in every conversation you've ever been in. He means that if you want, if, if you need uh, uh, to know anything about anything, he's got the answer. If you're ever wondering what the truth is, the Ancient of Days has it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to come to the Father except through him. Isn't that good? That is good news. The benefits of his name is salvation. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that which man can be saved. No other name. It's not Buddha. In Detroit, it's not Muhammad. Jesus, God only resurrected the true God. His name was Jesus. He's the only one that resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that actually ascended back at the right hand of God and fulfilled Psalm 110. That you will make your enemies, get this, your enemies the footstool in which he lays his feet. You see, Jesus is the righteous one. He's the holy one. He's actually the only holy one in this room. You are not holy, contrary to maybe what you believe. You are not righteous. You may think you know the truth, but last time I checked, it says he's the truth. He's the way. He is what? The life. Amen. It's so good. I love preaching the gospel. It's wonderful. Why? Because the truth is outside myself. I need this as much as anyone else. If I could possibly, which I can't, if I could possibly preach the word of God underneath, if I had two Bibles, I suppose I could. But I, 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 need, to, I need to preach the gospel underneath this. Because understand that this, I am, the only authority that I have is the Bible. The only authority you have is the Bible. It's the scriptures, it's the word of God. And the word that became flesh is Jesus Christ. And that is the head of this church. He is the head of this body. And we submit to him. We want to submit to him because he's the righteous judge. He judges perfectly. Some people are so into justice these days. The reality is if you ask for it, you'll get it. And here's what I'm saying. No one in this room should ever ask for it. The only thing a believer asks for is grace. If you ask for justice, you might as well get out of the way. But unfortunately, the last time I checked, the way God does it is that you can't get out of the way of his justice. It will find you. It's almost like that movie that says, I will find you and I will kill you. And the reality, the reality is, the reality is, the rea here's the deal. If you are in pride, he will find you and he will oppose you. I don't care. You can hide under a rock. You can go in the depths of the ocean. The Psalms speak of that. You can't get away from him. And let me tell you something. If you are seeking justice, you're wrong. You are dead wrong, actually. And I will say this that you need grace. You need a lot of grace. 
the only thing that you seek in this household of God is mercy. You have to understand, my kids, if they saw justice, they'd get it. (laughs) But if they seek mercy and they appeal to the one who is the head of the household, if I want to, if keywords want to, I'll give it. That's how it works in the household of God, you see, because Jesus doesn't have to give you grace, but he has to give you justice. He actually has to give you justice. And the only way that you don't receive justice is you get right behind Jesus. Because justice got him that afternoon, Friday at 3 p.m. It got him right in the chest. And actually, what happened was he got what he deserved because it, as far as what imputation means, a very theological term, it means every sin, past, present, and future, was on the body of Jesus that Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. And that was hell on earth for Jesus. That is the gospel. And if you want grace, get behind him. But if you want your justice, then get right in front of Jesus and ask for it. Because I'll tell you what, you're not going to want that. I'll tell you what, you will not want that kind of justice. It is nasty. Actually, the full extent of that justice is hell for all of eternity. You will weep and gnash your teeth for all of eternity saying, I got what I deserve. And for us, who those people who gave their life to Jesus for all of eternity will say, we did not get what we deserve. That, my friends, is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So just to clear that one out, I think, all right. So here's also what the name of Jesus does. We have the right to become the children of God. John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him to him, he gave the right to become children of God, the right. In other words, we come out of the womb as the children of wrath, according to Ephesians 2. But when Jesus gets a hold of our life, we become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. Forgiveness, Acts 10, 43, though his name, everyone who believes in his name receives the forgiveness of sins. Answered prayer, John 14, 13, And 14, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What an awesome Savior we have. It's amazing. The gift of the Holy Spirit, if it doesn't get better, it does. John 14, 26, with the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you the remembrance all that I said to you. Sometimes you get a little anxious when we're reading the Bible. We're wondering, will I remember it? He says you will. If you read his word, he's obligated to give you the word when you need it the most. In fact, when you're the, the, the more exciting times is when you're before people who don't like you. You'll always have words. You'll always have words. And they will be anointed by Jesus. He promises that in Matthew over and over again. In fact, he says, when you're before the rulers, when you're before people who don't like you, don't worry, you'll always have words. They may not be the most popular. They may get you in trouble. And in fact, they may get you killed. 
as it was in Jesus's time. But as we'll look later, if you don't get anything else out of this message, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what comes after humiliation is exaltation. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. Philippians 2.10, it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth under the, and under the earth at the name of Jesus. Do everything in his name, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or de- deed, do all in the name of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1.12, so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. When we do it as right, we glorify the name not our own lives. Second Timothy 2.19, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Here's the deal. You can't bear the name of Jesus and run around prideful. You can't be in gross immorality and name the name of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, somewhere in the 20s, I think it's 21. You can correct me on that. But he says, He says something like this, Lord, Lord, you prophesy in what? The name. You do all sorts of miracles in my name. You do lots of things in my name, but he says, I never knew you. You see, there will become a day, perhaps there's even people in this room that will die one day and look at Jesus and he'll say these horrific words, probably the worst words that you could ever hear, worse than somebody posting something about you, saying something about you. You do not want to be on the other side of the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity. You practiced them. That was what your life was defined by. You had no repentance. Let me ask you this this way. If there's an area of your life that's not, that has no repentance, I would be very scared. Because what it says in Galatians is that if you have fruit on your life, if you have the fruit of the spirit, you're good. If you actually walk in joy, that's a good sign. If you walk in uh, self-control, wonderful sign. If you walk in love, good sign. You walk in the gifts of the Spirit, I can't tell you whether you're saved or not. Why? Because people that were the, ultimately the gifted people in the church were the ones who perished in hell because they had no fruit on their lives but had a lot of power. And we as a church have to redefine, I guess, sometimes in the church, the culture will never understand it, but in the church, what salvation truly is. So don't name the name of Jesus without backing it up by a life. I wouldn't do that. All right. So we're going we're gonna to look at different names. We're going to look at the names of Jesus. This is awesome. This is wonderful. And the first one is probably my favorite. Um, and a lot of you guys know it's very familiar, but it's the servant. Jesus was known as a servant because we don't have a God, we don't have a Jesus that just carries a sword around, contrary to what the people in Detroit and the Muslim areas, that it's conquest. Oh, but the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is about conquest. It just comes in a different way. It comes through the word. It comes through humility. It comes through a suffering servant, and his name is Jesus. So let's look at Isaiah 53. We'll start with 52.13, and then we'll move on. So it says, Behold, my servant will prosper. 
he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on the account of him that happened. For what had not been told them they will see and that they had not heard they will understand or what they had not heard they will understand. And so now we're entering into Isaiah 53. It says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. I've preached this message before. And one of the things I said about Jesus is he wasn't all that great to look at. He actually grew up probably very awkward physically. He did. I mean, a tender shoot. He was weak. That's why people couldn't receive him as Lord. That's why people couldn't understand that why is this God? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. If you don't believe me, he says, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, man of sorrows is key. If you want to look like Jesus, you'll have many sorrows in this life. You signed up for it. It is what it is. And acquainted with grief. How many have grief this morning? And like the one, like one whom men hide their face, he was despised and he did not esteem him. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Isn't this amazing? This is one who grieves. This is one who has been mocked, but yet he takes on our grief. That's amazing. What a savior. And our sorrows he carried. Just know he's carrying your sorrows even now. He's the only one that can. Even friends you can't trust. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he, it was pierced through for our transgressions. In other words, even if you are innocent, ultimately you're not because we're all guilty. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening or the punishment for our peace, our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way that the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Just think for a moment right now and your sin, your thought life, what you believe, whether it's whatever it might be. I can go through a list, of course, and it's probably unnecessary at this point because if you're living with the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you. You already are aware. You already know. But that sin put him on his cross. It was your cross. You should have gone. You just should have taken every single beating. You should have taken every single lash. You have taken the crown of thorns. But as far as we know, that wouldn't have been enough punishment for us because separation was the ultimate punishment that was found in the Garden of Eden. Separation is the worst. Anyone could handle a physical beating for the time, but ultimately what was his is he felt the separation. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ultimately, that was the worst. In fact, you can read in Psalm 22, the way Jesus felt on that cross. I preached that one day. 
that really affected me to know what did he feel. Go to Psalm 22 and get the emotions of Jesus. It wasn't pretty, by the way. His humanity showed in that, and he did it for us. So all of us have gone astray. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth, but by opposition and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who, con- who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Who is the rich man? Joseph. Do you remember that? That took his body down? Even though he was assigned to go somewhere else? At the last second, God fulfilled his word. You cannot go against his word. You can't hide from his word. You will not be able to go against his word. You will not be able to squirm your way out of it. You are all guilty. We are all guilty. And that is the good news. Because now we can look at someone other than ourselves. That is why. Because he had done no violence, and nor was, he, was there any deceit in his mouth, contrary to us, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If it would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He would prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities, our iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. When did he intercede? He interceded for the man who is right next to him, the thief, who finally understood. I'm telling you, if there's ever a picture today in our culture, look at Jesus in the center, the innocent one, and look at the guy who is hurling threats and accusations at the one who is dying for him. And then on the other side, he finally came to his senses and said, what are you doing? This man is innocent. How could you? He interceded for me. He said, Father, I'll let this one, let this one be with you and us in paradise. You want to know how to get there? Humble yourself. Do you want to know how to earn favor with the Lord? Be like that man, humble himself. Don't you dare hurl threats and accusations at the innocent. The reality is we're all guilty, all of us. So even to hurl one one accusation is probably one too many. The accuser of the brethren, his name is Satan. And so if you accuse You're like your father, the devil. And when you accuse, you will be on the wrong side of justice and grace. You're gonna need the grace. (laughs) So get behind Jesus, get under the cross, not in front of it. All right, Isaiah 42, one says, Jesus fulfilled his baptism 
in Matthew 3, 17, it says this, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. That is Jesus in Matthew 12, 18 to 21. It fulfills Isaiah 42, one and four, which says, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Isn't this awesome? Nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until his, he leads justice to victory and his name the Gentiles will hope or the nations will hope. What does that mean? He didn't defend himself. He didn't have to because he knew God would. And he did, not on the cross, but at the resurrection. Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, not to be served, but to serve others. John six thirty eight. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at the humility there. Isn't that profound humility? I came down from heaven, like the throne room of God, where their angels sing how amazing I am to go to earth so I can hear how awful I am. This is Jesus. And also, I love this, he didn't batter, a battered reed he did not break off. He was close, he was weak with the weak, but he was strong with the strong. And what I mean by that, he was weak with those who were humble. When people confess their sin, when people are humble, when people are like, I I am wretched sinner that I am. When you can't sleep at night, not because you want to get even with someone else, but because, you're, because of your own sin keeps you up at night. That is the way of the believer. When your own sin keeps you awake at night, God comes in and says, oh, I will not break this precious one, but give grace. But who is he strong with? The religious. He's strong with the religious. He's strong with the political. And I've been preaching this probably since before this time, and I'll say this again. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Beware of the religious spirit and beware of the political spirit because it is destroying you and is destroying this church and is destroying churches around the world. Every pastor I talk to is crazy how much the political and religious spirit is destroying. Which side are you on? Whose side are you on? And I'm not talking about like the presidents. That's not gonna affect our lives as much as you think is the person next to you. The person next to you will actually have more of a profound effect on your life in 2021 than what Trump or Biden does. That's why there's so many lessons in the scriptures that say, bear one another's burdens, love one another, forgive one another, be there for one another. Not who is the next Herod or who is the next Caesar. So I got to know your church history. They all died, by the way. They all made a mess. 
of society. That's why we need to know Jesus and treat each other with love. It says, I don't do anything on my own initiative, John 8, 28, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Where does he take his cues? Not from culture, but from the word. There's ever a doubt, ever wondering what you're gonna say, just give the word. The word is good. John 13, one through seven. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, he should depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were there in the world. He loved them to the end. And during the supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the son of Simon to betray Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, the disciples' feet, and wiped them with a towel which had, he had girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him and said, what I do to you, do you not realize now, you won't realize now you shall understand hereafter. We've done a fair share of washing each other's feet in this church. What a wonderful thing. I think most likely you and me have definitely washed probably all of our leaders' feet up to this point with humility and saying, the only way that you'll be able to overcome betrayal is to, here's the phrase, it's so key. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. I'm reading this for, again, on purpose. And during supper, the devil having already put into his heart, Jesus Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and he was going back to God. How do you overcome betrayal? the sovereignty of God. We overcome betrayal by the sovereignty of God, not by human reason. You'll mess that up. You'll mess it up. You see, what happened with Moses and Miriam when Miriam had a problem with Moses? Miriam accused, his own sister accused him, said, hey, you're not the leader we want. What did God do? Gave him leprosy. But that's not the hard thing. We can deal with leprosy. Oh, maybe some people, I don't know. I don't think any of us. <laughs> it's pretty horrific. But it is nonetheless physical. But you wanna know what's worse? Is you stop the growth of the church. Seven days they had to wait until the leprosy left. What does that tell you? God will not bless this church if there's betrayal in the camp, if there's dishonor to leadership, you will suffer with the, the hindrance of the growth of the church for as long as the sin is in the camp. What happened to the sons of Korah? Rather be Miriam at this point. But the sons of Korah came up, said the same thing. And the earth devoured them. The earth utterly, single-handedly devoured every person. 
And the reality is that earth should open up now and devour every single one of us now. And the only person that was innocent in this world was Jesus Christ himself. And why we come to worship as a church is we say, he's the holy one. He's the righteous one. And on our knees, we say, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all turned aside. We've all went our own way. We've all bought into lies. But the one true one is Jesus and we worship him. And when we do, we become like him. There's power available to be right with him and right with each other. Isn't that good? That's the truth. That's Jesus. That's what he came to do. But humiliation comes before exaltation. After humiliation, exaltation. And where you get that from is many passages, but Philippians 2, 9 through 11 is key. That he eventually lifted Jesus up and he will lift us up in due time when we choose humility. Jesus said, number two, by the way, it was number one. I'm sorry, we're gonna move quicker here. But number one was servant. Number two is Jesus. The Hebrew name is Joshua. Just simply means the Lord saves. Matthew 1.21 says, you shall call this, his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Jesus guides, leads, and is our friend. Most of all, he's our savior. It's true. He does say in John 15 that he's our friend. But understand when we come to church, we don't come to church first to be with our friend. We come to church to be with our savior and Lord. Because what that does to us as a church is it says Jesus was shown to be a thousand times, between 800 and a thousand times in the New Testament. And the scriptures want us to know something. They want us to know that this name is, is, is good and is perfect and is right, just even saying. How many know that when you're at angst and you're suffering, you're frustrated, just saying the name of Jesus, not out of a, of course, a, cuss word or something like that, that don't take the name in vain. But as, as a Jesus, oh, Jesus. In fact, just recently, we were just with some of the guys, uh, some of the leaders, and we were just, uh, uh, one person was just weeping, just said, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He comes and he saves us. And how many know that saving is not just the ticking into heaven, but it's, healing. It's, it's sozo. It's just the Greek word for salvation, but it's total salvation. It includes salvation in all areas of our life, and we need him. But unfortunately, in John 1, 1 11, which Peter's argument saying here is that he says, is it verse 13? He says, servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, they disowned him. And in fact, Pilate was aware. In fact, we always think the Romans were so evil. They were, but honestly, that, that was the political spirit. They played political games. But really, if we're honest, the evil one were the religious people. And it always is. Who were the ones that wanted to throw a rock at the one who's caught in adultery? All of us are caught in our sin. And all of us deserve the rock. But Jesus got in there and says, I was able to let you go, whatever her name was. And ultimately it wasn't said in the passage, but this is what it, what, 
I've read many books on this and theologians all say, this is what it would probably have happened. The only reason why I can let you go because I'll have the rock of judgment thrown at me at the cross. I took your rock so that you could be free. How many of us need to hear that this morning? No matter how much sin you've been in, no matter how much hurt you've been, how much hurt you caused other people, how much hurt this caused you, you can forgive because he forgave you first. And you can ask for forgiveness because that is his name, Jesus. He, in his name, is salvation. But understand that the Romans even, they had more of a justice system than the Jews. In fact, I say this, that uh, no less than six times they sought to release Jesus. And they knew that it was innocent. In fact, Pilate's wife even said he's innocent. And to condemn a man who was innocent in the Roman times broke every tradition. So there must have been such political pressure to make a decision that they had, this is like one of the first times this kind of stuff ever happened. It's amazing what political pressure does, isn't it? It's amazing when you're cornered and having to come up with answers when the one who has the answer is the Ancient of Days. He has all the answers. Come to worship one king and his name is Jesus. Number three, the Holy and Righteous One. Holy One, Psalm 1610, the word for Messiah. It's the word for Messiah, holy. He's holy. In fact, it doesn't say love, love, love. It says holy, holy, holy. Every time you hear in the scriptures, you don't see uh, uh, all the attributes of God, so to speak, three times. The only one that you see three times is holy, 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 because the Bible wants us to know something. We're not like him in that. But although through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus, we can be like him, because that's when Peter could say, hey, be holy as he's holy. He made us holy. And holy just means sanctified. And sanctified means set apart to be like him. Church, if we're like him, if we say we're like him, we really like him, like his attributes, which is forgiveness, which is joy, which is love and mercy and grace. Righteous one. Oh, in fact, I'll say it, it's worth noting. Luke 4, 34 says, even the demons recognize him as the holy one. The righteous one being innocent of any crime. That's what righteous means. Here's the connotation of being innocent of any crime. And for, in fact, he's the only righteous one. Now face between, get this, face between the choice of the innocent Messiah or Barabbas, because that's what Peter's talking about in this. He's saying, are you kidding me? You picked, you picked Barabbas, a murderer? Guys, there's really not much difference between us and those guys back then. And if you think so, there might be a little bit of what is called self-righteousness, which is damning, by the way, really damning. And what we're seeing today in the political world, what we're seeing is it's called the damning power of moralism. If you haven't noticed, there's self-righteousness on both camps. There's self-righteousness in every church on the planet thinking they're better than somebody else. In fact, you might be sitting here thinking you're better than me. In fact, you might be sitting here thinking, man, my church is better than another church because you're visiting. 
You might be thinking that I'm better than the person next to me. Oh, if they only knew the truth. That is damning, by the way. That will get you hell versus grace on the other side of the cross. And that's the truth. And and I'm telling you the truth because I love you. I want to know the truth. The truth sets us free. And when we know it, it's a glorious thing to fellowship with the true Jesus, not one we made up in our mind. Prince of life, this is a good one. This is a really good one, actually. This is kind of ironic, honestly, if you think about it. When Pilate was given the chance, now Pilate, I know what the religious people thought, but when Pilate was given the chance to release Barabbas, he released a condemned murder instead of the prince of life. You know what the prince of life is? The author. They let a murderer go free so that they can kill the very one who created them. That's crazy. That's crazy. We should all say, wow, that the fact that God would even have any mercy on us in this moment is unreal. Jonathan Edwards says this, oh, sinner, You cannot give any sound reason why you have not dropped into the pit of hell since you rose from your bed this morning, except that the grace of God and his hand has held you up. Do you wake up in the bed this morning that way? I hope you have. If you didn't, just go home, go back into bed and rehearse that because it's truth. Many are like, oh my gosh, the sins in the hands of an angry guy. I can't believe you're saying that's so old. No, it's not. It's actually more relevant today than probably it ever has been. You could say that in the face, every political person can wake up in the morning and say, I may, every, we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks, but Romans 13, the reason why God puts men and women into office is because they are ones who need to hold the righteousness of the place that they are uh, leading, the country, America, Russia, whoever it is. And if they don't do well, they're actually judged more than anybody else. Again, the sovereignty of God. Trust him. Don't worry about who's gonna come in. Oh, don't don't stoop as so low. Worry about reconciling with the person next to you. Worry about reconciling with the people in this room because this is your family no matter what president comes in. Why are we going to Detroit in the middle of a pandemic? Because Muslims are bound to hell. Why are we going on mission? Not for a stamp in our passport. Not so that we can visit something new. But because people are on their way to hell. And as Christians, we need to say, just like Jonathan Hedrids, oh, why have you saved me? Why would you pick me? Why would you have mercy on me? Why was I not like that one with the woman who has a slit and just can see, all I could see is her eyes as we're eating in a little Yemen, Yemenese place. Why is they put the curtain, they had curtains in the restaurant, they would, pull these curtains and so we couldn't see the woman unveil. Why God, why did you pick me? Why not that woman who's under such oppression, not only from 
male leadership, but her religion. Why? Why are you so self-righteous? Why are you looking at yourself today, church? Why are you doing that? Why are you looking at trying to fix what you can't fix? Why are you doing that? When Nicole and I came here eight years ago, we had one objective. That was to fulfill the calling of God in our life. And that was to preach this word. That's it. It wasn't to make friends. It wasn't to try to please man, but it was to preach this unending word, living word that can actually change lives. I didn't come in with psychology, as Paul said. I didn't come in with the philosophies of man, but I made known to you one thing, and that's my promise to this church, Christ and him crucified. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, three to seven, for I delivered to you of first importance what I have also received personally in my family, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the what? Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and to the 12. And after that, he appeared to no more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. And some had fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to the apostles. And he said something like this, that I am the untimely born. I am the worst of sinners. And I'll say that from the front. I know I am. I am. I'm the worst of sinners. And the only thing that gives me authority is understanding that I'm actually under him. I'm under the one who saved me. I want to get behind Jesus. I want to get with Jesus. (laughs) I want to follow Jesus. I want to deny myself again, pick up the cross and follow him. It's the only hope we have in this day. That's the only hope that we have. Paul understood that. He, he's a murderer. He, how, why? I was just on my way to Damascus, minding my own business. Well, actually, really not. He was in everybody else's business. He was killing people, throwing them in jail. And Jesus caught him, not for any righteousness of his own, but because of the righteousness in Jesus and the desire to give grace to man. They acted, let's just close in verse 17. It says this, it says, I've, uh, so many good scriptures. Um, (laughs) Remember he said that. So they acted, okay. So here, here's the crux of it, all right? Here's the crux of this whole passage. The crux of this is these people were thinking, I did not know. When Peter was talking to them, they were saying in their minds, and he knew it, he, they were saying, I did not know. They were claiming agnosticism. In fact, they were claiming ignorance which is pretty much the same thing, that these people were thinking, there's no way. I mean, Jesus, oh gosh, he, Jesus himself, he said, I for, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. 
But by the way, that doesn't negate Romans 1, 20. Oh, but they knew. We all know. None of us are without excuse. Not even one person in this room. You cannot blame your parents. You cannot blame your teacher. You cannot blame your pastor. You cannot blame the leadership. You cannot blame any soul on this planet but yourself. You are guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty as everybody in this room. That's the reality. And you know what that does? That puts us all on the same playing field, actually worshiping God. Him. We're worshiping Him. What do you come to church for? You came to church to make friends? Do you know that they're going to offend you? You mean to tell me you came to church to get a leadership position? That's already happened. People have come and gone. You mean to tell me you came here to have power? Whoa. What did you come here for? What what have you honestly come here for? Because if the answer is not salvation, then I think you found the wrong place. I really do. I think you found the wrong place. Because if you put your hope in man for one second, you will, you will be disappointed. There's only one man that doesn't disappoint. It looked like he did, didn't he? Throughout his life, it looked like he disappointed a lot of people. He disappointed them, why? Because they didn't get a free meal every single time, did they? They didn't get the healing that they wanted. Grandma was just about to come up and then Jesus left to another city. They didn't get the money that they wanted. They didn't get the job that they wanted. In fact, they didn't get the leadership position that they wanted. Judas and his money, the disciples and the leadership, the followers and their meals, they didn't get what they wanted. So they left. Bitter and angry. And and Hebrew says it like this, that the bitter root defiles many people. Do you want to get get rid of bitterness in your life? Forgive. Well, let me say it this way. You ask for forgiveness and then you forgive other people. If you want this place to be a light place to come to, say, man, the glory of God is in the room, then you better get right with God and you better get right with each other because the king of glory, if you haven't noticed, he came in the room this morning. His name is the Ancient of Days. In fact, I'll read Psalm 24 because it's worth reading because it, this, I believe, is what we're asking for in worship. It's what we're asking every day when we come in. We want hope. We want hope, church. It's what we're looking for. It says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas. And established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? You? Certainly not. He. He who has the clean hands and a pure heart. It's only Jesus. He 
Who has lifted up his soul to falsehood? Or he who has not lifted his soul to falsehood is the only one is Jesus, as far as I'm reading the Bible, and has not sworn deceitfully, as many have. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In this generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. And here it is. Church, this is what God's asking every single one of us to do, to recognize who is the king of glory. Lift up your hands, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Do you know when you don't, when you don't want the king of glory to come in is because you're trying to hide something. You don't want the king of glory to come in because you're ashamed but oh, you want the king of glory to come in because you realize you're a wretch and you need him. Oh, you're a wretch. You know it. You know the thoughts. You know your own thoughts towards people. You know your own lusts. You know your own anger. You know your own pride. There's only one, says, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to falsehood. His name is Jesus. He's the only one. It says, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And that brings me to the next one. The Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. We don't have time to go through it. But Lord is Kairos. It means a bond slave. It means that we look at him as our Lord. If you call yourself a Christian, he's not sir to you. He's Lord. He is Lord. He is the what? Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. In fact, honestly, it gets better than that. It says in the Old Testament, Yahweh, which you see, small little capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh. I am who I am. That's not good. He says he's Adonai. That's capital L-O-R-D, but not the O-R-D. It's not caps. You know, it's technicalities. But God's absolute sovereignty over creation. How many of us need that this morning? That he is absolutely, Psalm 1 or 8 1, he is absolutely sovereign over every single thing in your life. And he's sovereign over every single thing in this church. And he is sovereign over every single thing in this city, over in this nation, and in the nations of the earth. He is sovereign. You need a Lord more than a friend. You need a Lord. And it says, we'll, we'll end with this. With Philippians 2. Oh, I've wanted to talk about the Son of Man, though. I want to talk about the Son of Man. I do. I love the Son of Man. 80 times Jesus refers himself to the Son of Man. And you're like, well, Son of Man. What's the Son of Man? You want to know who the Son of Man is, trust me. Because he says, I've kept looking in the night visions, it says in Daniel 7, kept looking the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days 
and he was presented before him. This is Jesus coming into the presence of God. And to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Every nation, every political scheme will be destroyed in this earth. There's only one that is not destroying, but only getting stronger, the kingdom of God. And it's the son of man who has control. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little homework assignment. Check every passage in the New Testament, specifically in Matthew. He plays on the Old Testament verbiage in Daniel. But look at every single passage and watch in context why Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. It's always in a judgment context. And I'll just say this, church, don't be on that side. Be on the son of man's side. Be on the side that he who knows the ancient of days, he knows the truth. But let me end, end with Philippians 2. And you guys can close your eyes because it's such a wonderful passage. It's just worth noting because I believe that this is the hope of this season. In fact, if you want to even say it this way, this is the vision of where we're going. This is what we need to do. As the political noise increases inside the church and outside the church, we need this perspective. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says it like this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the very point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. It's just the theme of this passage in Acts. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, including hell itself. And that every tongue will confess not your opinions. It won't be confessing your defense, but it will, we are, those tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Adonai, to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you that the only way that we can even say amen to that is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that church, even for myself, the one who planted the church, I come in with this sense of awe with Jesus, this sense of I want to know God. I want to know him. The innocence again of just coming in the room saying, oh, I just want to know Jesus. Oh, I just want to know him. He's so good. I've only given you five, six names out of dozens of names of Jesus. God, may we spend the rest of our life in all of eternity breaking apart what that name means, the name above every name. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the servant, the lowly one, Christ, the Messiah, 
We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you're the bread of life. We thank you, Lord, that you're Emmanuel, you're with us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. And when we need real peace, it's available. We thank you, Lord, that you are the righteous judge. You will judge the living and the dead the right way. You will, you are the root of David. You are the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy that was given to you and will be fulfilled. You are the word of God. You are the light of the world. You are the lamb who is slain. You are the man of sorrows, but you are also the holy one, the righteous one, the exalted one. You are the son of man who will come riding on the clouds, coming with a tattoo on your side that says the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They're coming back to make all things right. You are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you are the bright morning star, as it says in Revelation 22, when all things are ending. Father, please, may you give us your mercy. May you give us your mercy this morning that everyone finds ourselves like Jonathan Edwards getting out of bed saying, oh God, apart from your grace, I won't be able to even stand up. I can't help but think of Cole before the mission trip to Miami and his way to drunkenness and girls and immorality makes his way through the forum to find this Jesus. I can't help but think of Hunter as he came in. I can't help but think of Tim when we were in the Wheaton days. We said, hey, I'll be your Jonathan. I can't help but think of Mike Pabone, the one who humbled himself and said, hey, maybe my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, and so why should I be Lord over my life? Gave up his old girlfriend to find his true wife. I can't help but think of countless people in this church who've said yes to the one, the righteous one, the holy one. I can't help of the ones who have made it through many trials and tribulations. I can't help but think of Tyler and Sarah before they were even married, coming in as college students, working things out because it was hard. It was offense. It was trials, but they made it on the other side because God gives us his word and because there is humility. I can't help but think of Jessica that time where she came in from San Diego high in the nations because she's done it in the flesh, but now she's administrating places that we've never thought we'd ever dream of going. And even yesterday, getting back from a Muslim-majority city called Detroit, And just seeing after an exhausting time, the smile on her face saying, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I can't help but think of the men and women in this room who continually say yes and yes and yes. Ricky as well. Many, so many. Oh, I wish I could go on and on and on. There is family in the room. There is life in the room. There is history in the room. There's perspective in the room. What a wonderful savior. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful grace that you've given us a church 
that we could call home in the midst of absolute chaos all around us. And Holy Spirit, would you come in the room and would you give us peace? Would you give us joy? Would you give us the grace we need to love each other? There's so many one another's in the Bible. They're for us to love one another, to comfort one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another. I pray, Father, that you would give us, there is the horizontal thing, but if we don't get the vertical, if we don't get the power of the word, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, if we don't get the indicatives of the Bible and how awesome these truths are of the ancient of days, the Son of Man, we'll never know how to actually quite adequately love one another the way we should. And certainly cannot take this mess to Detroit. So Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom in these days. Would you protect us from the schemes of the enemy as it says in 1 Peter, oh, don't think that anything strange is happening amongst you. Don't think that it's strange. It's a fiery ordeal. And that fire is hit and it's in the world and it's touched the building. It's touched our it's. It's touched our shirts. Some of us have been burned and hurt and confused. We know the truth. We know the ancient of days. We know that the Son of Man has been hanging out in the ancient of days. And Father, we seek your truth. We love you. We worship you. Would you make all things right? Spirit of reconciliation, spirit of humility spirit of love, spirit of unity, biblical unity. Pray that the right leaders would rise up and speak truth. God is not the author of chaos, but of order. We thank you. Thank you that you're our advocate. In 1 John, John 2, 1, you're our advocate. You're our great defender. You're our uh, attorney, attorney who defend those who want defending. First John 1, 9, those who confess their sins to, to you, you are faithful to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Whether you need forgiveness this morning, whether you need power, whether you need love, whether you need mercy, we thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this church. We thank you that you began this and you will see it through completion, that we truly will be a family who seeks you together on mission. We thank you for the D houses. We thank you for people, community living together. Even the stat, even the, the people who live in community, not even the three to five, it's even, the, all the Muslims move in a two mile radius. And a little Bangladesh and a little Yemen, they even understand it better than the church does. That it's not control, but that it's wonderful to be with the community of God. Thank you for that vision, God. There's no shame in that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us community and family and friends. You could just literally just drive right around the corner to, to the synagogue, to the house of God, to worship Jesus together, to eat together, to break bread together, to love each other. Father, may your mercy of repentance fall on this place now in Jesus' name. May it come. May it come the way you need it to come. Father, I pray for peace in our minds. 
We break any hardness of heart right now. We ask you for your sovereign grace to come melt the heart of stone. sweet presence for your mercy on, on all of our sin oh father would you put us in that right place every day may we walk with that sense of peace and confidence that we're yours self-righteousness and judgment to leave that we would look at the righteous one Jesus even now I just invite I mean I don't do this often but we just invite people to just come if you need to get on your knees and get before the Lord to reach the nations it will take a great act of humility we ask you Father, would you stir hearts right now? Just invite you. Would you pour your heart out, not just for yourself, but for this church? He says that he's the head. It's his body. And when we hurt one part, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And I thank you, Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 12, that that is what you've given us, a beautiful body, a beautiful church that you've built as living stones, as people, as Peter said, as living stones joined together as you as the head. You're the cornerstone, the capstone. It's your, your power. As we say, As we say, we might be in it for the long haul, but Jesus, we thank you that you're in it for the long haul and that you will complete the work that you started and you will see it through fruition. Thank you, Jesus. Ricky's gonna play for us as we just allow him to work in our hearts to the fullest. Because I don't want to go into the meeting um, to talk about culture uh, and talk about encouragement, talk about thankfulness, talk about joy with a fake face. I want to talk about it with the reality of truth, with brothers and sisters in the room. Father, would you release your grace and your mercy as we worship you and spend time with you this morning.